Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Today, I welcome fashion filmmaker and director and one of my closest and oldest friends, Ryan Womick. This is something I'm going to be doing more often on the podcast for a very specific reason. So the Momentum Podcast was built out of my obsession for getting to the root of what it takes to get people to take action towards the life they want. It's not a secret that that most of us aren't where we want to be in life. Whether we want to be in better shape, we want to be further along in our careers, we want to meet somebody, learn a new skill, start a YouTube channel, whatever it is. And it's usually not a lack of knowledge that would get us to where we want to go. It's a lack of consistent action over a long time horizon. So it's been my hypothesis with this show that the more people I've talked to that have been able to do that, that have been able to take consistent action over a long time horizon and pull off something meaningful, the more likelihood it will be that somebody listening will extract value from those conversations. And I think there's a lot of value we can extract from people like that. I think there's also a lot of value in listening to conversations of people who are in the midst of it, who are in the middle of executing and iterating and executing and iterating, in the middle of solving problems uh, and working out solutions kind of in real time. It's, It's a little bit less common, I think, on the internet to, you know, we hear a lot of people talk about problems and we hear a lot of people talk about solutions, but in the middle where somebody's in the thick of it, in real time, navigating hurdles, uh, I think listening to those types of conversations can be useful. And that's the purpose of this episode. We talk about overcoming overthinking. Uh, We get into very specific time management and schedule management tactics that have increased our productivity by an order of magnitude. And we talk about why sometimes you just need to sweep some stuff under the rug. I had a blast in this conversation. I hope you're able to extract some value from it. At the end of the day, we are two dudes just trying to figure it out. So I'm going to throw you right in to this conversation with Ryan Wormick. Because I have the same, I've had this interesting, um, I guess what I would qualify as interesting. It's interesting to me, but like um, why I think I wanted to even participate in this. And that was because I have failed. (laughs) I, you know, I have been successful enough to maintain the somewhat of the lifestyle and then within the career field that I want to stay in. But when I just look back on just the different milestones, I can't help but be filled with a degree of regret and being like, man, I have to like be honest with myself and be like, I could be a lot further. Mm. And that's not like my only metric of success, but um, that's why I want to do that. So maybe I could reframe the question and be like, okay, so in what ways have you struggled or what challenges have you yet to overcome or goals have you yet to achieve that are on the, you know, they're on the to-do list right now. Yeah. You just reminded me when you're talking it, what I was getting at is the way I've failed, which is it requires like a, a new way of approaching solving the problems because if you're not working on a long-term big picture idea, you can just sort of wake up and do things day to day. Like you can just take on whatever tasks are in front of you because there's no deadlines. Like I've heard, I forget who talks about this, but like procrastination usually doesn't, it doesn't kill people because when there's a deadline, you get something done. But most of the things that both of us want to accomplish have literally no deadlines. They're infinitely, we could just delay it one more day in perpetuity until we die. So when you're working with something that requires such a, a new way of thinking and like a, I don't have a deadline. I'm, it's up to me to create the system to meet the deadline. Um, that's where I failed because you know, we have separate workloads and just getting up and taking things on day by day without 
taking a huge step back to look at the big picture and then setting very specific steps on how to get there has been what's crushed me. Just like getting and you know, I feel like starting the day, 6 a.m., ending the day, you know, late in the p.m. and going, okay, I worked the entire day, but where, where am I? Like I'm nowhere near closer to my goals. Yeah. So then what are your, I'll in turn, okay, I'll, you, you've shared how some of the areas that you failed, but for me, I guess like specifically, um, in turn, if I'm going to share where I failed, same thing. Like I've had things I'm like, Oh, I really should make content. I really should approach my career in this way. I really should. Um, or I could do things that way. I could make a project that look and feels like this, even though that's going to require, uh, me calling in favors, me putting in my own money, things like that. And for context for people listening, like I'm a fashion filmmaker, photographer, um, I've been, and I'm transitioning to photography really in a big way this year in 2023. It's one of my main goals. And, um, yeah. And so I'm just like, I don't want to make the same mistakes going into my photography career the same way I've made mistakes in my filmmaking career. And now that I'm older and wiser, hopefully I think I, yeah, I think at least having my next like hypothesis laid out, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to this degree of success in this way, if I, if I treat, if I handle my opportunities like this and I create opportunities like that and have created some of those, like I've been a little more, I've been more specific than I have in the past, or I am more specific than I have been in the past in defining like, okay, this is how I'm going to approach this. And if it goes wrong, I'm not going to freak out or get down <sighs> like as much as you can, like, you know, we're all human. Like I'm going to have an emotional reaction to my failures, which has been part of my problem. Um, but yeah, I even had a great conversation with Ethan. I know one of our mutual friends yesterday and both work in like directly creative fields. I think this applies to anyone who does any creative problem solving period where you're like, you are refining or creating something to the point where the end product doesn't physically exist and has yet to ever existed. And so it's like that no matter what you want to do, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but it just kind of crystallized for me, like being in the art world to a degree, there's a lot of like, condescension towards like self-help anything because everyone's like no it's just who I am as a person and all this like identity politics not politics but like identity their personal politics of like who they see themselves and how they dictate their own actions like the rules they set for themselves it's very much at attached to their identity as an artist and as a creative you're saying like there's no so no approach to like let me remedy this problem that I have this is just how I am. And like, I'm always going to be the person who's late and unorganized or whatever else. Yeah. There's just a ton of that. And that could just be the circles that I'm running in because I am removed from that top, like five, 10% of the industry. Like where there's just, I mean, I know that there's a degree of that at the top, but I also know that a lot of the really commercially successful artists and creatives, they're sharks. They don't operate like that. They operate. There's such an art. There's so much of an artist that they have like, they feel so free engaging their engineer side of their mind and it just completely unleashes the artistic side. So that's what I'm trying to tap into this year. And, um, yeah, I just think it's funny because like back, I just wanted to finish this thought of like the whole self-help condescension. And, um, I think it's interesting because no matter, I've been talking to a couple artist friends recently and it's like, no matter what you want to do, it literally, their art problems and the things, the buttons that are getting pushed for them are the same thing get pushed for like my business friends. Because at the end of the day, it's all emotions. And so if you want to go somewhere that you haven't gone before, you have to likely face emotions that you have never faced before. And it's the same happiness, sadness, stress, worry, doubt, 
uh, whatever it is, it's like, it's the same little bottle of emotions, but the businessman gets his emotional buttons pushed by business challenges and the artist gets their emotional buttons pushed by the, uh, by the artist challenges. So I don't know. I just that like click for me and I thought that was interesting. When you, when you're talking about your next great hypothesis, is that along the lines of the artist and the engineer or like, can you elucidate your hypothesis? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think for me, big picture. Yes. I think that is probably one of the biggest guiding principles I'm taking into 2023 and something that I feel really fortunate that like I've had a really rough last, I would say like five to seven years, just like personally, professionally, I feel like it's like by the time I finish solving one problem, another huge wave hits and I like just barely get ground and then boom, something hits me and I'm like clawing and drowning. And then I finally find this little piece of driftwood. And then like by the time I'm like rubbing the water out of my eyes, like another wave just crashes on top of me. And, um, I think one thing that I feel like I was saying, I feel really fortunate in at the end of 2022, I started experiencing some of like the new beliefs that I had, that I started to say I believed, but I think the measure of like how deeply you believe something is to the degree that you experience that belief. And I, um, yeah, just through a couple like books I was reading and people I was interacting and work I was doing and questions I was asking myself, I really identified this, um, process for becoming a better artist, but it was really through engineer, like thinking like an engineer and due to my own, like to a degree, like, yeah, insecurities. I don't want to say the word insecurities, but like, to be honest, yeah, I'm like, I want it to be perfect. Yeah. And it being the end product, like the creative project that I make, the set of photos and the, you know, the video that I make for a brand. Like I just, I want to do well, man. I I don't, for the better or worse, I think it's for the best, but like it can be my own worst enemy that I just give a shit. Like that kind of sucks sometimes. Um, Cause I can, I can unnecessarily freeze myself instead of flowing and just pushing forward. And um, I want to hear your response to this, but cause this, cause what I'm about to say goes down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So hopefully the listeners can like, hopefully I explain it well and the listeners can track, but I've kind of been using this analogy of, so my grandpa owned a metal shop in Santa Ana, California. And I used to go there all the time as a kid. Like it was a family business. My grandparents are Swedish immigrants. And so it's like, my grandpa came here, he learned to trade, got to work, built this business. And so growing up, I I literally grew up with my little brother and my cousins running around like huge rooms and insane like giant machines for creating like all sorts of custom metal pieces like everything from huge metal brackets to like tiny little bearings that would go on a train or you know in this machine or whatever and we would play tag and hide and go seek like literally the the machines were like as big as almost like this little furniture setup like a single one he'd have like 50 of them scattered across these buildings and I always remember this story he told me for some reason, you know, he's passed now, but this story keeps coming up in my mind as I've been solving these problems. And I remember him telling me about how he, this was years ago, he helped this company in Germany, like build an automated factory. And at that time in my life, I'd never even heard the term like really automation at all. Now it's like normal, 
But back then I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, the robots like build everything. And then like someone just comes and picks stuff up for delivery. <laughs> and the concept to my, you know, my probably, I think my 12 year old mind, 11 year old mind at the time was like, could not believe that like robots could do this. I thought it was so cool. And I haven't, dude, it's so funny how the mind works. Cause it's like, I haven't thought about that. I'm 31. I haven't thought about that in at least 15 it's years. Tricky. And now it's just like coming to me and it's coming up in multiple conversations now. And I just like, I find myself imagining these robots and imagining this, like these metal pieces and these machinery, whatever this factory was making. And I imagine myself like working in a similar factory and like keep reworking like the first third and like taking the product off the conveyor belt and be like, no, it's not right yet. And then I need to tweak the machines and then I put it down and it goes and it goes back and I take it off again and I put it back at the beginning and runs through and the robots mess up again or they don't do it perfect. You know, so I take it off again and I think I'm getting somewhere, but I realized like through work and through just other things I've gone through that I think that like to be really great at something, like truly to be great at something, you have to understand the step that become that comes before the thing you're trying to master and the thing that comes after you're trying to master. And right there in the middle of the sandwich is the thing that you're trying to really become great at. And I realized I can't, I'm interrupting that process because I'm not letting the project, like these personal projects that I've been sketching out, I've been making and like loosely casting and loosely reaching out to people to part with, partner with me on and just come on set and make something cool. Like people I kind of know or mix with some people I know really well, mix with some people I've never met or worked with before. And um, I've realized that I'm trying to make one perfect thing to fall off at the end of the conveyor belt and it's perfect. And I think I'm, I've been able to like, exist in that flow because I'm trying to make one perfect thing. And so I'm technically making progress on making one perfect thing. But if I even made, let's say I was like a feature filmmaker, not even just like a guy who does, you know, shoots for brands, but I'm a feature filmmaker and I make one great film in my entire life. I make one perfect film. I'm not going to have a career. <laughs> like even the guys who do like the one or two or th like one, like one feature film every one, two, three, four, five years. Like, they have to go out and do another one. So like their goal can't be to make one perfect film. Their goal has to be make a career of making films. And so that's kind of the switch for me where I'm like, oh man, I can't have one great product roll off at the end of the conveyor belt. That's not the goal. I have to have like 60 great products every single year for the rest of my life for as long as I want to play this game at a high level. Oh my gosh, I'm wasting all this time because I don't even really know Again, back to the, the conveyor belt and tinkering on that first third. I'm not even really, really, really sure all the things I need to fix on the second third. Right. On the second, you know, section. And then even the third section. And then so I haven't even really gotten to some of those on some of these projects. And I'm thinking I'm making progress because I'm trying to make one perfect thing. But I need to make it go, 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 go. Like create, 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 create. And so, and I can only really evaluate that like that picture of the sandwich like there's something that comes before and then there's the middle and the after and in the middle is what you're really trying to master i can only really evaluate that thing if i let it go all the way across the conveyor belt and yes take notes every single time and see like okay what is the process like where can i improve where am i wasting time 
Where are we losing momentum on set? Where are we getting bogged down with unnecessary details? Where are there breakdowns of communication? Where are we losing the plot here? Like, where are we like, okay, we set out to make this thing and it, look and it looks and feels like this. And at the end, it didn't. What happened? You know, identifying what step that is. And so um, that's me being, that's really long-winded. So hopefully I was, I pulled a couple analogies there. I hope people were able to track, but that's what I'm working on now. And to answer, hopefully that answers your question too, where it's like, that's the engineering side that I've tapped into. And it's given me so much, like, it's given me a ton of peace of mind, um, just like making stuff. And cause I'm no longer obsessed with like, it could be a complete shit show. And I'm like, okay, great. I just got like 17 new ideas to make the automated factory, just like my grandpa made, make all the robots play nice so the conveyor belt moves smoothly. And at the end, the delivery guy can come up and pick up a, a great product and go deliver it just like that. And that's now my new focus where I need to make like many products fall off the, whole, the end of the conveyor belt. And I can only really do that if I let the whole process go, finish it, and then reevaluate it. Let the whole process go, finish it, reevaluate it, and repeat that process many, many times this year. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. So breaking it down for the listener, the analogy, this, you've given a couple analogies, but yeah, would something like this make sense if you're trying to build a YouTube channel? Yeah. You keep on recording a video, looking at it going, I don't like the way that sounded. Yeah. Delete, set your camera up again, re-record. where in order to really become good at making videos, you need to record it, edit it, and then publish it. Right. Watch, watch how people react, rewatch it back, cringe if it's bad, mm -hmm. which it will be. Yep. And then push it all the way through the conveyor belt and then build yourself over time that way. Yeah. But you're micromanaging the first step. Right. You're micromanaging the first step because your focus is all wrong. You're trying to make a really, really great YouTube video when you need to learn how to make a hundred great videos a year. Yeah. That's really your goal. And so you actually are getting really, you're actually making great progress on making one great YouTube video. You're making excellent, most excellent process progress. Like you can't, you can't even fully evaluate it. Like even that progress is limited because making YouTube includes like prepping it, shooting it, editing it, and then sharing it. So you can't even get to those next steps and then have that inform your first steps. But, um, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's a useful, like Giselle and I were just talking for the listener. Giselle is my wife about like, can you identify the big bottleneck that could your life can really go one of two directions. Like provided, you know, you're blessed enough to live until 90, a hundred, however, however old really, there's going to be one of two things are going to happen. One, mm -hmm. you're going to sit there at the end of your life and go, wow, I, what an extraordinary life I lived. Yeah. You know, I, I, maybe I regret some small things, but for the most part, I'm, I'm thrilled on the life I lived. Right. Or like most people just never, they, they never step out of the comfort zone for their entire life. Yeah. And you end up living with plenty of regrets. Like you talk to plenty of old people. This is a, a overdone conversation listening to the regrets of a 90 year old, mm -hmm. but it's useful to think about if you could, if you could confine or define one bottleneck that would, that would push you towards that option. Number two of, of living, you know, of living in regret for every person it might be a little bit different, but it sounds like from what you're saying, the, what would define, what would be the bottleneck in Brian Wormick's life is sort of not stepping outside of that insecurity of micromanaging everything in the beginning and just pushing things through the conveyor belt. And that will literally alter the course of your entire life. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I was literally talking with Ethan yesterday about it and 
for the listeners, Ethan's a mutual friend of ours. He's an artist, uh, primarily a dra- uh, he draws and he paints. And, you know, we struggle with the same thing. And I drew it out on a piece of paper and I ended up just like furiously just being like, okay. So at first I drew the whole conveyor belt and then I drew like a little star, which is like the perfect product at the end. And I let it fall to the ground. I'm like, only till it hits the ground can you then evaluate how you did. Like until then, you're missing huge pieces of the puzzle to even evaluate it and make it great. So instead, and I flipped the page and jokingly, like I just furiously started stabbing the page. I was like, every single dot is a star. And I ripped it off the notebook. I was like, this is one of the most profound things I will ever write or say in my entire life. <laughs> and it's this tiny little notebook, half crumpled paper with like a ton of like stab, like a, yeah. 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 Just dots all over it. Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I honestly, I know it's going to change my life. And, and I'll say this too, cause I think it might be helpful for people. One thing I learned by the end of 2023, so I changed markets. You know this. I moved from Dallas, Texas to Southern California right before the pandemic. Best I was killing it. Made. I agree. But rough timing for work because I was yeah. a new guy in town. And then an area that took COVID very seriously and an industry that took COVID very seriously. And it was very pub- I work in a very public um, industry where everyone's the point is everyone sees what you're doing at all times. So if you work in a very it, it's run by brownie points, you know? Yeah. It's like, so with that being said, it was a tough time to be like basically two years of work had shut down. And, um, so just skating by financially last year, 2022 was great, but I found myself being a little gun shy and was able to excuse myself because, you know, I know at the end of the day, people hire who they like, they know, and they trust. And so I was a little hesitant to reach out to new people and establish myself here in this market because I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to secure all three of those in one interaction. They know me, they like me, they now trust me. And out of desperation, I ended up taking a lot of jobs where I wasn't in my normal, I may, I'm usually able to direct it or I'm able to shoot it and not be in the, the support roles. And this year, last year, I had to do a lot of support role work. But it led to, by the end of the year, me getting back into the directing and the shooting. And, I mean, tomorrow, I'm literally, you know, I'm the cinematographer for, like, a commercial I'm shooting tomorrow because someone else who I was assisting all the time was unavailable and he was able to recommend me. So I'm getting, like, you know, triple my day rate of what I got when I would crew for him. And that's all because even actually even more than that, like literally times five, literally a multiple of five in the day rate of what I normally get for the same day of work, same 10 hours. For doing day. something you would enjoy more. Yeah, exactly. And it's literally like I learned at the end of the year and I hope that I think this will help other people too, especially if you're trying to expand your network. Stop trying to, this is my guiding principle. If you don't rock with it, then, you know, leave it. I don't need a reaction, but like this is helpful for me. I have stopped trying to get secure all of those in the first interaction or the first yeah. couple interactions. I'm like, it's okay if they, they know me, but they don't like necessarily really connect with me. That's okay. Like I'm a good per- people person. Like maybe I was down. Maybe I didn't have the energy that day. Maybe I was tired. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were drowning in a workload or a personal problem and there just wasn't room to connect. Yeah. They're going to like me. Like 
if they, and then if we hit that threshold and they know that they know me and they like me and then this industry that moves so fast, it's only a matter of time before they need me. And when they need me, I already know that going into it, that this is a little out of like our comfort zone. Cause I haven't secured that trust yet. So I kind of come in with that extra bit of care and competitively an extra chip, like that chip on my shoulder. I go, I'm going to knock this out of the park. I do that. And now that I have their trust. Now I'm on the roster. Like now they know me, they like me, they trust me. Now, now they're giving me calls for the jobs I really want to do. And if I had said no to those jobs because I wasn't getting introduced and getting portrayed in the exact right light that I normally like to be and that it's like most quickly beneficial for my career, I would have missed out on massive opportunities. And um, yeah, so that's just something else I'm taking in that really crystallized. That's one of those beliefs. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I should like, you know, tap into that. By the end of the year, I was like, oh, this is money. Like this is like, I'm so glad I was able to learn this this year because it's helped me so much and navigating new opportunities already at the beginning of this year. I think it's where like, that's a, a belief that shifted and you, then your behavior changed. Yeah. I think a lot of people, like part of the reason why I built this podcast was just getting tired of kind of like, I wanted to create and talk to people about the, the actual tactics and strategies to getting people to take action. Yeah. And do the things that they want to do because most people like literally you don't need to know anything about health and fitness to get in pretty good shape. Like yeah. if you just sort of, if you approach it in, in the most archaic fashion, but you just kind of think, okay, I'm pretty sure like bodybuilders eat chicken and rice and broccoli. And I think they like, they move weights around and I'm pretty sure cardio burns fat, which is like is improperly phrased. But the point is like, yeah. you don't know anything. Right. And but if you just did that, most people consistently over a long period of time would get jacked, <laughs> completely jacked. Right. And so I created this podcast almost out of frustration for like, okay, how, how can we get into the weeds and not talk about, you know, not just talk about believing yourself or, um, you know, kind of in the clouds ideas, but like, okay, how are you going about doing that, getting yourself to do that? Cause you know, I, I agree with both sides. There's the, you have to believe in yourself on one side in the clouds. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other side that says, just get it done, brother, which is like hundred percent. Like I have no disagreements with either side. No, totally. But can we get into the weeds? It's like, you can tell somebody eat less, move more. That's, that's, it's not that that's wrong. Like that will lead to you losing fat. Yeah. But can we dive deeper into the eat less and move more to very specific strategies? So for you, like you've said, I've had a couple belief shifts or, you know, I learned that this year and now I'm actually doing X, Y, and Z, i.e. you have that shoot tomorrow that you're a cinematographer for. Yeah. Like, can you isolate any specific behavioral changes that would have led to that or, or, or frameworks that led to the behavior changes, maybe a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this was really key for me. I don't know what, there were a few things that I was reading, watching, like writing down talking with my therapist about like there was like so many like you know how it is your mind can't stop working on a problem that's like unsolved if that problem is important to you yeah. so you end up in this like these pretty consistent like major loops that are open in your mind whether you're stressed about health or you're stressed about money or you're stressed about your marriage or you're stressed about work or you're stressed about your kid or whatever whatever you know my main loops like everyone else had kind of streamlined into a few like like they, they could probably just all be, they could be labeled like very clear. Like this is the, this is that loop. This is this loop. This is that loop. And one of them for me was that I identified was 
the way I feel about myself is not the way that I actually am because I want to protect the way I feel about myself and the way I view myself because it feels good to think I'm a boss. It feels good to think I'm like, oh, I'm just undiscovered talent. Oh, if anyone just knew or if I hadn't been through this or if I hadn't made that mistake, like I would just be soaring right now. I'd be crushing it. And that's a nice thought. And it's actually true, but it's not helpful. And what I realized, what I was recognizing in myself, I was recognizing my own potential. I was like, oh, I could go. Like I could really pull that off. But it was not an uh, accurate reflection of who I was. And Hermosi's, Alex Hermosi says this, and he said something or said something like this that really spoke to me where he was like, he was like, you protect the way you view yourself. Every, every person views himself in a positive way. Even just like an able-bodied guy our age who has had a couple problems and maybe is like, for whatever reason, he's on the street and he's looking at you and he's asking you for money. Guarantee you that guy has a positive self-view. Like he might have low self-esteem, but deep down he's going, yeah, but if my dad didn't hurt me, if my mom loved me, yeah. if my girlfriend didn't commit suicide, you know, if, if that asshole like boss didn't fire me, like I'd be fucking killing it right now. I'd be on it. And he really believes that. And then you know what? Honestly, God, he's right, but it's not helpful. And he's just aware of his own potential. And I just really, really something happened, clicked in me this year where I understood that I was going to have to make it capital W work. Yeah. Like I was going to be defined by making it work within my current set of challenges. And they were literally, these things were not getting in the way of my life. These things were my life. Like the stress and anxiety from X, Y, Z, they, that's my life. Not the way I would be soaring if they were not here. And so understanding that and understanding that I, the positive view I had of myself was just a view of my own potential, but it was unrealized and realizing that moving along this path was going to constantly make me realize and experience the pain of not being that person but that I was actually in reality going to be like get ahead and become that person. Like my potential would be realized. Like I experienced that belief. Like by the end of this year, by the end of last year and then early this year, I've just been like, man, I've just been living that out. And I've just been like, everything's been put through the filter of like, man, I no longer, I tried to avoid so much. Like for me, a big trigger was like, I had a, a, I was trying to avoid uncertainty. Like my dad got sick at a young age and, um, that just stressed me out. <laughs> like I knew he was like, might die. Like even when I was a little kid, I was like, and that's really, really like caused me a lot of anxiety and stress route. And then I, you know, I turned to other things in my life, like trying to be smart or work hard or other belief systems where I like try to eradicate myself of like that uncertainty that was introduced to my life at a young age. And I just, dude, I don't know, man. I hope the listeners can can like, click with what I'm saying. Cause I feel it so deeply. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I, if I'm brushing past so many details because I'm living it. So if there's anything you want to dig into, let me know. But like, I just on a deep level, man, I, I just was like, Oh my gosh, it's always going to be uncertain. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm literally never going to be free of that. And never being freeing of it made my, gave me so much peace of mind, <laughs> dude. It's well, and I'm like, okay, that's just part of the equation. Like it's not a problem to be solved. It's something to manage. Yep. Great. Cool. I can move with that. I can live. I can live with that. Yeah. It's you know? The, the, you know what you're saying? These thoughts that you had, maybe you call them excuses that were true, but not useful. Yeah. I know you. And so this is a pushback for the, for the listeners yeah. because I know you when you were in the, the deepest point of those thoughts a year ago, two years ago, whatever. Yeah. You never would have, if I was communicating to you, 
you wouldn't have used them as an excuse because you would have known this is not an excuse. I can do anything. You would have vocalized those things. Yes. So it's because I can hear a lot of listeners saying, yeah, this, this happened, but I don't use that as a crutch. I, I, I don't use that as an excuse. I, I know I'm in control, but is it still in the back of your mind? Like, are you still thinking about it? Because just because you wouldn't vocalize it to me didn't mean that it wasn't altering your behavior in some way or another at a deep level, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just like thinking about what thoughts, it doesn't even matter if they're true or not. Like if, if they're true, but not useful, then push them aside. Yeah. Can we stuff some stuff under the rug? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get to the heart of Stephen Borden, (laughs) put it under the rug. Yeah. You know, Hey, I, I rock with that. There's like, there's time and a place for everything. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, is your question more of like, is that still on the back of my mind now? No, I'm saying like I, for the listener, I, I would just challenge whoever's listening and I'm, I'm like challenging myself because I don't make outward excuses. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, where I sit right now, I'm going, I don't think I make them inwardly either, but I'm sure there are, there are thoughts that I may have that are true, but not useful mm-hmm. that just because we might outwardly express that I know it's not an excuse inwardly. Is it kind of modifying some behavior like are you thinking yeah but i would be in this position if it weren't for x y and z i'll fix it but you know yeah like mm-hmm. that's still a very non-useful chain uh, train of thinking yeah i think at the root of that and this was another big thing for me i think at the root of that is this childish belief and i don't say that to, condescendingly i say it like as something i'm still working to unload and it's something that i was and maybe this is just coming from someone who had like an overall like good childhood like in a lot of ways, like it's so positive. Like I love my family. And I think at the root of that, there was like a lot of my pain was coming from a place of, oh, it shouldn't be like this. It's unfair. It's not fair. It's not fair. But the world is unfair. And that's what clicked for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess it's fine that it's unfair because it literally can't be anything else. So the path that I move forward in is in an unfair world. Therefore, I need to account for that, not avoid it. It is unavoidable. Like imagine living your whole life with the goal of not dying. Like that was a, your whole life's mission was to not die. The inescapable. <laughs> like that is completely inescapable. Like you've just set up the worst set of rules to be successful and enjoy your life. If that, if, if you're still functioning in the space of like, ah, oh, it shouldn't be like this, that, that was unfair what happened to me. It's like, yeah, it really was. And then the next thing that's going to happen to you is probably going to be unfair too. Good or bad. Like you probably didn't really fully deserve all the good things that are happening to you either. Like, thank God the world's unfair. Thank God it's not a one for one. Now I'm saying that right now on the upswing of some stuff, but at the end of the day, like, I think that's where a lot of that stuff comes from where it's like this, this sense of like, oh, it should, it should be fair or I, I'm justified in holding on to this because that was unfair. So-and-so cheated on me. Um, you know, my brother betrayed me in this way or, you know, work colleague like stole my, stole my idea and got all the credit. Now he got the promotion and I'm slogging away for six months, hoping for my next opportunity. It's like, yeah, like that. And I'm not here to minimize that. Like, I'm like, yeah, feel sad about it as long as you want to, but just know that every minute that you hold on to that beyond what's fully needed to be human, it's not getting you where you want to go. So what's more important? feeling sad or getting where you want to go. 
you know, my two-year-old will literally sometimes tell me, I'm like, are you, are you feeling sad? She goes, yeah, I feel sad. And sometimes I'm going to go, do you want to do something else? And sometimes she goes, yeah. So like, what can we do to make it better? And we'll have a little conversation. But sometimes my two-year-old will go, no, I still want to be sad. <laughs> She'll tell me that. She'll be like, no, I want to stay sad. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then literally within 15 seconds, she'll get bored. She did this to me the other day and she'll go, okay. And then she'll just like go about her day right. and she'll like start goofing off and playing again. But she just wanted a few more seconds to be sad. And right. I think of more people, I was like, wow, that's really profound. Like she's not encumbered by all these. I'm going so deep. But like okay. we're, that's like, I think that stuff is so amazing. Like I watch her and I'm like, that was so simple for her. You know? And I think like, Life is probably better if you just accept the fact that I watched this great documentary. If anyone else hasn't watched uh, Shuts by Jonah Hill on Netflix, it is so beautiful. Oh my goodness, it is so, so beautiful. And I've just stolen a few lines from the movie, but he talks about like how basically like the it's Jonah Hill making a movie about his relationship and the work of his therapist. It's very profound and very unorthodox film and... There's just great things. And the whole purpose of the film is he's like, I want people to interact with the tools that you've given me and made my life like significantly better. And I want other people to be able to interact with them. Even if they can't like afford therapy or have never been to therapy, have a sense of like how to find a good therapist and things like that. And he talks about these principles of like, no matter what path in life you choose, like you will never escape pain. You will never escape uncertainty and you will never escape the constant work and effort ever. And at the same time, avoid all unnecessary suffering. <laughs> but there is a just a minimum level of suffering that you have to like just pay the price to like be alive. And you know, I could go on and on and on, dude. Yeah. So you're gonna have to cut me off. But just something else worth measuring. I mean, I think mentioning too is just, you know, we both grew up in church, so I've heard tons of stories from the pulpit, and one always sticks out to me about a pastor, and they were, you know, dealing with like a giving campaign as you know, nonprofits and churches do, and they were trying to like fix up this building or build a new building or whatever. And they were getting some pushback from some of the people like, ah, you know, we don't want to pay for that or we don't want to help with that or, you know, whatever it was. And there was one like lady in the congregation and she wrote the pastor this letter that I think is so applicable to so many things. And she basically said, you know, when my daughter was growing up, gonna pause so don't cry i have a daughter so yeah it's home yeah girl dad is about to start hitting home with me yeah dude it's oh yeah dude yeah that's awesome i'm so stuck for you guys but she wrote this note and she was just like you know when my daughter was growing up when she was little we she had gymnastics and dance and whatever and then she got in school and she had extracurriculars and we paid for her tutors and, you know, summer camps and blah, blah, blah. And then she went to college and we helped her get started in her apartment and help her furnish it and da, 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 da. And then she got sick and then we paid for all our medical treatment and we, you know, we moved her in home. We fixed up her house so it'd be easier, easier for her to get around the house. And then she passed and I don't have to pay for anything anymore. And she was just, uh, the whole point she was saying, she was like, I'm happy to give to this because this church is alive. And like, I think that's just a great metaphor for life right there. It's like, you know, we can all like, everyone gets tired and doesn't want to do any more work at some point, even if it's just for a minute in a day. I'm not calling anybody lazy. I feel that, I feel that sometimes. I feel it all the time. 
But I think like just remembering like that's just because I'm alive. Like, and I think that's like the best thing, like as a spiritual person, like the difference between, I think for people is like the ability to even take those challenges and like transmute them into something else. If that's not like godlike, I don't know yeah. what is like, I don't look at a tree and be like, Oh, that tree's a little bitch. <laughs> that other tree is smaller than the other tree. That tree's not trying hard enough. <laughs> you know, you go, Oh, that's not getting enough water. Oh, the wind's blowing this way. You know, it's a great Ram Dass quote. But he's like, oh, the wind's blowing this way, you know, or like it's not getting enough sunlight for whatever. You look at it and you see that. And there's like a measure of that in humans where you can see them bend to things and you can see them not get enough nutrients and blah, blah, blah. But then at the end of the day, you can also see these people go, but this guy got nothing. <laughs> he got nothing and he made it into everything, you know? And then there's just like, there is something so just like, I don't know, wonderful about that. So I hope that's encouraging too for people listening where it's like, yeah, you might be going through a tough spot and like, if you're not now, you will, but that is also okay. And like, it does, it just takes effort to be alive. And, um, you could just, the beauty of it is you can do whatever you want with that. Yeah. That's just so, that's such an awesome part of being alive. Yeah. There's, I'm getting so wild deep right now. So dude, you are going to have to stop me. That's the point of this podcast. <laughs> I'm about to go one step deeper. <laughs> so maybe, I don't know, maybe we get into specifics. I don't know. Do you have any like Cause now we've covered huge like philosophy ground and stuff and I've talked so much, but I'm so curious, like as you look into 2023 to throw it back to you, like, do you have, I have a very, very specific, what I've defined is like, I think it's a beast goal. It's not a God goal. Like I can't pull off God goals. I've put on, I've put down God goals before <laughs> and I have failed. I am just a man, but I'm like, okay, I think if I was a total beast this year, I could pull this goal off. And so I've kind of, I've, I've definitely identified that for myself. Do you have something specific? Like, I guess like, again, I'm trying to, I think out loud. So I'm kind of figuring out my question as I talk, but like, are you, are you of the mind of like, have you wrote down like specific measurable goals by dates? Is that your process or do you have a different, like more experientially based goal? Yeah. I've found it really useful to, we've had this conversation um, make the action, the goal, not the outcome. Mm. And like, I, obviously we want to have a general direction of where we're going for sure. Um, but for people like me and even like you to some degree where we tend to overanalyze, you know, opportunities before entering or micromanaging step one in the conveyor belt. Yep. I found, I mean, I don't do that personally, but I can definitely see that in you. Yeah. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say the same thing. <laughs> um, I've found, yeah, so I, I have a set of actions. I guess one would be kind of a non-clear or uh, less action-based and more outcome-based, but almost all of my goals are literally action-based. Mm. Um, and they're kind of split between, you know, I, I'm not a full-time podcaster. <laughs> um, and so that, that's that been a huge challenge over the last year and a half is like when I, when I launched my podcast, obviously I worked full-time for the best sports technology company in the world, Vald. And, you know, I had kind of, I was doing a role there that I had down. I'd been doing it for three years. I had my workflows, my travel schedule down. Um, and then I launched my podcast. Things were smooth. Then I took on a new role at the company. And it's almost, it's, it's comedy to picture my initial thoughts when I took on that new role. I remember going, holy cow, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get a podcast episode up like this month. Cause I was, I was literally taking on learning the new processes of the new company, just a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
16 hour days nonstop. And I, I, I was like, when am I going to record? When am right. I going to research record? Sometimes 20 hours of research goes into a single episode. Yeah. And I remember thinking for this podcast, it took 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remember thinking, I think it was like July or August. I might not get an episode up for the rest of the month. And literally I'm about to get an episode up a year plus later. Like that's yeah. how long it took. It did it need to No. Um, I didn't execute the right, the right way to, to make sure that my podcast stayed alive while this new role was taken on. Um, so my roles are split 50, 50. I'm, I have extremely ambitious goals and, you know, actions that are set to take on the professional work side. And then same thing with my podcast. Um, and a lot of them are around like deliverables. How many episodes do I want to produce? How many videos do I want to produce? Um, I think trying to get caught into the like subscriber numbers and view counts and all of that yeah. is, is useless. I think for me right now. Yeah, no, I rock with that big time. Like I love this story. Henry Melville, I think it was like, it took him like 30 years for Moby Dick to get on the map and he was already like had died broke. You know what I mean? And like, it's like widely recognized as one of like the greatest pieces of fiction ever written. The dude never even found out about it and he did it. <laughs> like, that's crazy. You know? And I think the I like look at guys like that, especially as a creative and be like, nah, he, he did the damn thing. Like room for improvement. Yeah, for sure. Of course. But like life is not about always getting what you want out of it. But like, as long as you have your autonomy, like it's all about doing what you want to do with it. Like as long as you do it, I feel like that's the, by far the biggest the biggest point of the whole thing. I mean, do you have anything? Cause I know we're going to do this surprise. We're going to do this every month. Um, and kind of like touch base and just work in real time. Would you, for accountability, would you mind sharing maybe even one or two of them? I mean, all of them, as many as you're willing to share, but yeah. at least a couple that we can talk openly and be like, okay, so didn't so do so didn't do so great this month. Um, this is how I'm going to solve it. And then we can run that hypothesis together and, you know, have someone who cares about you, obviously I'm in your corner and like for the same for me and we can just like go back and forth on what's working, what's not. Yeah. So I guess the, I mentioned that there's one goal I have that's like less action. There are specific actions that lead to it, but it's kind of a, so on the, on the work side, there's actually two, two podcasts now. So I've got my personal one and then on the work side, um, for, for the listeners, um, we, the company that I referenced that I work for, Vald, has a sister company called Saga, and we sell a device, a sports technology device called Blood Flow Restriction Cuffs. And it, Blood Flow Restriction is a, a training modality that you would use for rehab, performance, and it's a practice that physical therapists might be well familiar with, but the general public, um, it's kind of, it's novel. It's uh, the technology that we sell and, and the modality that it is applicable to is kind of novel. And so I've launched a podcast under Saga called the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast, just being very specific. Um, and the goal of that podcast is to kind of build the, the all-in-one ultimate educational hub for all things blood flow restriction, the modality itself. And then, of course, I hope that it grows the business. There's, there's definitely like business ambitions there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the, the goal over this next year would be to, to build the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is kind of like, this is where it's like not very clearly defined, mm -hmm. but it's like the number one resource on the internet for all things blood flow restriction. So with, alongside it, there's, we have a blog that kind of follows each article. 
Um, there's different arms, stuff will go on YouTube or Instagram, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it's very subjective, like, but it'll be something that I think I'll, I'll feel at the end of the year going, yeah, like most people have heard of our podcast. If they're interested in blood flow restriction, you stumble across one or two of our podcasts. Like you've right. seen our videos, like that's it. Um, so that's one of them on the, on the like business side. Yeah. Can you restate that in like one quick sentence? Goal. Yeah. Build the blood flow restriction podcast to be the number one educational resource one. for all things blood flow restriction on the internet. So it is outcome based. You do want that number one spot. Yeah. I just, uh, in one of the conversations I had about this is like, how, how do we define that? You mm-hmm. know, how do we define right. number one? Is it by downloads? Like, so am I going to reach out to the other BFR podcast and say, Hey buddy, where you at? Right. I'm exceeding you in downloads. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be kind of a subjective feeling at the end of the year. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Is there anything more measurable that you can say like, yes, we're making progress towards that or yes or no, we're not. Yeah. So on both sides, on the, on the saga podcast and personal podcast, just yeah. volume of episodes. Okay. Like it's, it's a lot of research goes in. So that's where most of mine, like at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing I'm focused on is action is the actions. So like the volume of episodes, can we push out an episode every single week? Mm, um, Love that. The, the episodes are like, they require like, dozens and dozens of hours per episode of just research. Often we're going, I'm going through meta analyses and research papers, mm-hmm. um, scripting, writing, editing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'd like to push, push out one episode every single week for this year for the pod, for the blood flow restriction podcast. Mm-hmm. And then same thing for my personal podcast. Excellent. What do you think is probably like the biggest bottleneck that you're going to face and how do you plan on overcoming that? Yeah. Very similar to what you mentioned, which is just like, um, micromanaging the early steps. I mean, which mm. I've literally, I used that YouTube example earlier cause that's something I've done. I've literally recorded. I wasn't going to call you out. Yeah. I was like, this sounds oddly specific. It does. Sound, <laughs> it sounds like it's coming from personal experience there, buddy. Yeah. I don't know. I might yeah. be wrong. Yeah. Uh, recorded dozens, dozens of episodes, looked at them, gone. I don't like it deleted. Yeah. Um, and so the bottleneck would be just overanalyzing, trying to make it perfect. Um, and then I, I think a, a bottleneck that I've actually resolved over the last several months is how to be extremely productive for long-term non-deadline things. Because like, sure, we're recording this podcast and I'm just telling whoever's listening now that I'm going to publish episodes. But like, other than that, like, I don't have any deadlines. Nobody's asking me where the episodes are. Yeah, user 1948 Yeah, might be really upset, but... Right, Susie B might give a little comment <laughs> here and there. But Shout so they're non-deadline oriented projects. And yeah. I think just like making sure that I stick to the systems that I have in place um, to tackle those tasks. Yeah. I'm going to push back just so I have more clarity for myself too is for the next episode. Can you define that? Can you, is it like a time block thing? You're yeah. like, I'm going to honor these time blocks on these days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So time blocking, we've talked a little bit about, I think it's like, not to go down a huge rabbit trail, but it's, I think it's like one of the most useful things I've come across in my life. And I think I could not agree more. It that's if I went way philosophical for episode one, but like time blocking is saving my, it's defining my life. We're going high low right now. Yeah. Like a little, (laughs) little philosophy, little time blocks it. And like, if you're listening and you, because in the past people have presented this idea of time blocking to me Yeah, and I tried it. It didn't really like, it didn't work. It's funny. It's like people saying I, I worked out and it didn't work. Um, it didn't work for me. I felt like, well, I put all these time blocks in and then I travel. My schedule changes all the time. Right. It took a lot of ironing out to find a specific 
approach to make it work for me. Mm-hmm. But I found that out. And I think when I say stick to the system, stick to the time blocks, that's literally just, I mean, last night, like I was working on the couch, Giselle goes to bed and I had a choice. Again, nothing was deadline oriented. It was like, I could just go up to bed. I'm pretty tired. I've been working all day. Or I could just knock out these two other things that I had on my to-do list today that I ha- that I said that I was going to do. And I did them. Um, and so when I say sticking to the system, I just mean observing my schedule and not waking up and just taking out things as, as they come in front of me. Right. Because I can open multi- all of my email inboxes and just work until the day's over. Yep. Without actually moving the needle on the important things, and that's what I've done for the last eighteen months, and it's it's not been a, a productive way of, of approaching life. Mm-hmm. So, to be very specific, my schedule is broken down into types of tasks. So, operations would be one. It's kind of clearly defined in the name. Operations-based tasks, kind of just like things that require less creative thought. Um, number two would be creative. So that's writing, coming up with ideas. Etc. That's a creative time block. Then I have creative executions, which is this. We're this is a we are in one of my creative execution time blocks for the day right now. This is actually the filming, recording a podcast, etc. Um, then I have growth, which is like a growth related projects on the saga side. So like marketing campaigns, etc. Um, so I have all these different types of work, and I found that when I categorize my work by type, it makes it much easier to, to get in that mode during that specific time. Mm. So every single day, before, before I close my computer and call it the end of the workday, I look at my day tomorrow. If I have meetings, those are penciled in. I, ju- I try to avoid meetings until the afternoon. Yeah. And I'll go, okay, from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. is a creative time block because I know my phone's not really gonna ring. I'm gonna, and during that specific creative block, I can pull up my Notion account, which is where I organize all my life, and I can see what creative tasks do I have to do. And I pick which ones are most time pressing, and I just do that with, with everything. So it's like sticking to the system is, is basically just organizing the things that I wanna do, saying that I'm gonna do them, so I can wake up very clear and go, tomorrow I know exactly the 14 things that I'm gonna do, and then doing them. It's nice. like really simple. It's like it's like laying out and saying I'm going to eat 2,500 calories and then just literally eating 2,500 calories every right, day. Right. But you could do the 2,500 calories by like eating really lousy food in a really weird kind of off schedule way that makes it way more difficult on yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you can eat those 2,500 calories the best possible way with more protein and get a better result in the end. And that's what I'm doing. Awesome. What about you? My goal... Michael explicitly what I've written down the biggest one on my plate for the year is I am going to do 30 they're called test shoots so it's basically um, I think for my market that I'm in and want to expand into more with photography especially um, a lot of the jobs right now just becoming huge content machines you know used to be able to push a commercial or a campaign it would last you a quarter right now that stuff's lasting people especially the big brands lasting a week so it's crazy and the even though the frequency hasn't gone up, like the budgets haven't expanded one for one with the amount of content that's being, you know, made assets being created for these brands. So with that in mind, um, and looking and just being honest, we're, I've been tinkering so much. Yeah. I do great with client projects. Like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to crush a client project, but for my own stuff and getting my own name and style established, it's like, 
been tinkering over and over again with that first third of the conveyor belt. And it's like, what I know I need to do is create enough volume to where I can really get a proper bird's eye view of the whole thing. And also quickly evaluate time that these things take me. You know, if I know that even talking with Ethan yesterday, he's like, I'm like illustrating this point to him of how to get fast at his job and do more and, and create more. And I was like, okay, so what you're going to paint a painting. What's the first job? He's like, he's like, first I mix the paints. I'm like, no, first you find the paints. I'm like, that's how much you need to get granular with this so that you can, cause then you think about the whole flow of your studio. <laughs> if you don't have to go find your paint, you just saved yourself first of all, clarity and focus, and you saved yourself like an extra two minutes of time. You have everything laid out, perfect, then you start going. And you add up, that's the tiniest little step. You add up 20 of those in a day, that's a 45 minute time block. Like you add that up over a year, you work five, six for, for especially a freelancer, you work like six days a week, you don't take weekends, dude. So 45 minutes times six, or like really times, what is that, like times 26 for a month? That's like 20 hours a month that's like 240 hours a year just by like reorganizing the flow of your studio where all your stuff you're not looking for your stuff at all <laughs> like that's crazy you add 240 that's five that's six work weeks yeah. that's six work weeks by just like rearranging the flow of your studio like that's that is mind-blowing to me so for me again establishing what a test shoot is it's it's creating something you build a little creative team together you don't have a client involved. You make whatever you want. Everyone's just like homies or is it's like mutually beneficial because it helps their portfolio as well. And you just get together and you make something for me, what's really unique in the space. Most of the photographers who are getting a lot of the jobs are not also video directors. So I have that edge going into it. A lot of the photographers know very little about video. I know a lot about video, little about photography, but the learning curve from video to photography is much less than photography to video. So I'm in a good spot to do that, but I need the frequency to nail the workflow not just know it and execute it, but do it fast, like fast, fast, fast. And so I feel like 30 is that like, it's just over two a month, 30 client projects or 30, 30, per 30 personal projects. Okay. I'm, I'm letting it be like 30 photo video projects. So if by the second half of the year, I'm getting a lot of photo jobs and yeah. I'm directing the video, I will count that as a project. That's really my secret goal. I imagine I'm probably going to on some months fall behind like my two and a half mark, but I'm hoping to make that up in the second half of the year. That's why I feel like it's like kind of a beast goal, but not like a God goal. Like I don't have to be like superhuman to pull this off. I just have to be like on it. And so for me, it's 30 is my magic number that I'm directing the video and shooting the photography and uh, doing 30 of those projects. So the first batch I've got two planned so far, um, doing one next week and then, another hopefully first week of February, but you already hear I'm like one and a half behind. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see how things pile up and work out. But, um, yeah, that's, that is the goal. That's what I'm going to do. And like, so I'm just, I have a podcast that I'm launching this year that for me, um, let's get more specific than this year. Yeah. It's like exactly. So that, that's, that's as far as I've taken that the podcast goals yeah. are not specific. Um, YouTube goals, not specific other than Lucy. I'm like, I think I can do an episode per shoot. That would be interesting. And that gives me an easy narrative to track and also just teach my workflow. And if I'm like sharing what I'm doing and then like, I can quickly like, just like share a little like philosophical or mindset points that I think are helping me or that I should have enacted earlier in the process. And now I'm like, oh, I wish I did this, you know? So 
that is the key, the biggest one. I'm trying to, again, I think a big part for me this year is I'm trying not to put too much on my plate. Like I'm not trying to like be spread thin on podcast, YouTube and this, I'd most, I want this 30 and I'm going to navigate the podcast and the YouTube thing yeah. on a per basis. But like the tip of the spear is the 30 shoots yep. that I'm doing photo video for. And that's gnarly. Like that is gnarly with a tip with already my client workload. Like that's going to be insane, but it will, it would honestly change my life. Like my professional life would be transformed. Isn't that crazy that something so simple for, and that's like for literally almost anybody. Yeah. It's like a lot of people are thinking right now, man, if I could lose 50 pounds, it would change my life. Yeah. And they, they, there's nothing physiologically stopping them from losing 50 pounds. There's nothing, there's, there's no law of physics that's preventing you from doing 30 video shoots and you know that it's going to change your life. Yeah. I have, as I've been talking with more friends, because I feel like just being at this life stage too, I have a lot of ambitious friends, but a lot of friends, some people have had more success like earlier on in life. For whatever reason, other people have found their path later. Like I I'm, I would say I'm in that category. Um, and we're also all at that life stage where we're like, okay, you're really getting forced to double check your work. <laughs> Be like, is that what I really want to do? Is that really a wise path? Like, you're kind of feeling the um, the weight of time passing. Yeah, we're not like 21 and 22 anymore. No, it's exactly. It's it feels so different. Like we're getting married, we're having kids. Like people are like starting businesses. Like it's like really the like it's real life stuff. Like it's the real life stuff. And so I don't know. I guess like well, the only thing I, I thought would be interesting, at least for me, this is the last thought I have. I thought would be cool to end on would be my favorite quote in the entire world is this Galileo quote. And he says, you cannot teach a man anything. You can only help him find the answer within himself. And when you look at like the root word of education, I forget the exact root word. It's like a deuce or something like that. Like, I don't know. It's not like, but it, it doesn't mean to like deposit. Like you'd think like education, like you're depositing knowledge. That's not what it means. It means to draw out. Hmm. To go, it's like go seeing what is within and drawing it out of you. That's what true education is. And it, I think that's like, as, as I've been talking with friends more, like in this life stage, the thing that keeps coming up that I, that I've been saying, and it's just been natural. It's like, I'm like, oh, you're smart. You should just do that. <laughs> and like, I, it took me a long time to take that advice for myself, but that's, I just feel really, I feel good about this year. Cause I'm like, oh, I. I'm smart. And if I just pursue that smart idea that I have, even if it's not very smart, but it's the smartest I have. Like if I just pursue that, the good things are going to happen. Like I, I don't have to pontificate anymore on like finding a slightly better version of this idea. If I go hard on this, I'll then actually know if it's good or not. And that is good. That's sort of the theme of this podcast today for both of us. Yeah. It's like, and to everyone listening, like you're smart. If you have an idea, like, now, if you have an idea, everyone listening to this podcast has an idea and probably damn near everyone is drowning in some type of suffering and agony. Even if it's not like at the forefront of their mind, they're just like foggy headed and swamped and like overwhelmed by life. Even if you wouldn't define that as suffering, you know, call it unpleasant. You're drowning in unpleasantness. They have an idea, like you said, lose weight or do this. It's just like, I would just want to encourage everybody like, cause I'm trying to pass that encouragement onto my friends and myself where it's like, nah, you're smart. Like, you should just go do that thing. Like, this is your life. It's not anything different. It's not what if it was fair. It's not what if it was easier. It's not what if this. It's not maybe that. It's just like, nah, just go do that thing. And 
you are going to be defined by this rubber meets the road moment where all these challenges are coming at you. But this is all you got. So like, it shouldn't be anything. It should just be your best. And that, I don't know, I'm just trying to live that out. And right now I'm sitting with my best friend, so it's easy for me to say that. And I know we're like-minded in so many ways that it's easy for me to get in that place. But I know like later this week, I'm going to be hit. I know tomorrow I'm going to be hit. I know probably today I'm going to be hit. So I'm just getting out now. And hopefully that is, uh, hopefully that's good for someone else to pick up too. And if you don't like what I say, then that's cool too. Back, so I, we're wrapping up, but I, this is a thought that I just had that I think is, is, can be very useful, which is like, you said later this week, you, you're probably going to get hit. You will. I'm going to get hit too. Yeah. And you also reference people listening, like suffering, you know, right now and suffering is relative, but you know, even if it's just suffering, the weight of feeling like they're not doing what they could be doing or are capable of doing or want to be doing in life. Yeah. I think where most people get stuck suffering is in stage three of a stage four journey. And I was just reading Dr. Pat Davidson's book. Um, it's called rethinking the big pot patterns. It's a bio biomechanics book, human performance, but <clears throat> in it, he references the path that people go on when they're learning a new skill. And he's, he's using it to talk about learning motor skills, but I think it's useful. And he even probably mentions, mentions this in the book. I think it's useful for learning a behavior change as well, which is the path you go from unconscious incompetence to uncon. Oh, we just lost the camera. Oh, we did lose the camera. We got the wide shot, though. We got the wide shot. <laughs> Here, let's see. What, of oh, all time. Is it, Do you reckon it just... You know what? This needs to be... This needs to stay in the podcast. Cool. Yeah, this is... I've heard that sound many times before. <sighs> yep. Hey, for camera those who... <laughs> yeah, camera... We lost the camera. So let's see how it turns out. But that is... We are no longer tinkering with this part of the conveyor belt. Yeah. Press on. Yep, press on. Um, so, so you move from... Um, unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence, but like the steps in between. So to, to illustrate it, kid doesn't know how to shoot a basketball. He's unconscious. Like he just chucks the ball in the air towards the hoop. He's unconscious and incompetent. Like he doesn't even know that he doesn't know how to shoot. But then the coach comes in and goes, Hey, you know, keep your elbow in whatever, the, whatever the technic technical mastery is. Now he moves from unconscious incompetent to conscious incompetent. Like he knows I know that I've been doing something wrong and I know that I don't know how to do it and I know that I am incompetent. Eventually, you progress to the point where you're conscious and competent. You're, when you're focusing very hard on the task, you're competent at it. Like he, when he pulls up to shoot, his form is good, but he has to think a lot about elbow, drive, wrist, you know, knee bend, all that. But then that's where most people are suffering is in stage three of the journey where it's conscious competence because it's, when you want to learn a new behavior, it requires a lot of strain. You, every day you're, you're forcing, you know, I'm, I got to train again and I got to be disciplined and you're, it's, it's very strain intensive. But eventually when you've been in that stage three for long enough, you move into stage four, which is unconscious competence. LeBron doesn't think about how to shoot the basketball when he pulls up from 30 feet. He's, he's thinking about the game. He's not thinking about where his elbow goes, where his wrist goes. And there's a, there's a time period when you're, when you're learning skills and when you're learning, when you're changing a behavior where it moves into your subconscious algorithmic behavior, like we've talked about. And so I think 
both of us are probably in the early stages of straining towards what we're in stage three. Like we're competent if we focus very, very hard on it. Mm-hmm. And every day is a battle to make sure that we optimize every bit of our schedule. Don't, don't micromanage the conveyor belt and all of that. But eventually it'll become pro- programmatic in the background behavior that we just do regardless of um, the level of stress, regardless of any external noise. Um, so I just thought about that for you, for me, for anybody listening, if you are suffering, just understand that you don't always get like, there is an end to phase three, which is where most people live. Well said. I'm glad you brought that up. That hit, that hit at home for me. I love that. Good stuff. All right, brother. We'll see. I mean, I'll see you before then, but we'll do this again next month. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, everybody. We'll see you in February. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for being here. Peace.